We still have some people filing in, but we want to go ahead and get started. I think they started it over. <laughs> Some of us didn't even know it was going. I know, I know. All right, so as people are filing in, let me go ahead and get started with announcements. If you'll uh, give me your attention just to let you know kind of what's going on. Last week we had a bunch of announcements, not really different this week. Uh, but there's just a lot of things coming up that you need to know about. First of all, um, if... Uh, if you want a, a chance to try the coffee there, that is the Forest and the Sea coffee. That is coffee that the Boyers, the missionaries we support in Ireland, that's the coffee that they are actually brewing themselves. They're trying to get back into Ireland with an uh, uh, entrepreneur visa, business visa, whatever you call that, so that they can get there and uh, stay there long term because minister's visa, missionary visa, whatever those visas are called, they're not handing those out um, uh, as, as, as easily. So they're a little pessimistic about possibly getting back into Ireland the same way they got in the first time. So this is a this is a credible way that they can get into the country and help the country economically and all that. So, of course, the government is welcoming of that prospect. So this is their coffee. Uh, try it. If you like it, what we're going to do is uh, we'll next week we'll have a you know, something on the screen that shows you how you can purchase their coffee if you want to. If you purchase their coffee, it obviously goes to helping their efforts, uh, saving money, all that stuff, getting back into Ireland. So if you're a coffee person like myself and you like their coffee, uh, you can buy coffee that tastes good, but also that uh, does uh, that helps them as well. So next Sunday, there'll be a finance meeting. This is one that you want to be at. We've got some important things to discuss, some important things to unveil uh, for you, or at least potential things to talk through. So that's uh, coming up. We're in a good spot. It's been a, we had a meeting last week and it was encouraging. So we want to kind of present all of those things to you. And uh, if you have questions about that, you will have opportunity to do so. But that is next week following the service. Tonight we have an MC leaders meeting at 630. So we've been announcing that for a few weeks. So if you're an MC leader tonight, 630, please be here. Ladies Bible study. Uh, we're going to do that this Wednesday at 6.30. Wait, sorry, this is, uh, is this the one? I'm, yes, 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 not the one that we've been, you've been talking to me about, Sarah. So, uh, ladies, it's, it's the Wednesday that's throwing me off. So this Wednesday, 6.30, this is week eight in True Women. All right, so men's meeting, we're going to have that the 25th of this month. So that would be next week. All right, so that's next week, 6.30. Renewal Wade Hampton, just as a reminder, still need volunteers to go and help prep for food. Um, that's just a way that we're getting our foot in the door. As time progresses, we'll be able to have more contact uh, with the people who are there at a, at, a, at, a, at a different ministerial level. I know that we are doing ministry, uh, but maybe we'll get into ministry at a gospel level as, as time progresses. Uh, but they told us it would be this way. They told us, just give us some time. They're earning rapport. We have to earn rapport and all of that. So hang in there. Uh, good things are coming. So, But we need help as far as volunteers from 11 to 1230 on Tuesdays through August. So if you can do that, whether you can do that once or do that for the foreseeable, you know, several weeks, talk to Natalie about that. She'll, she'll get you connected as you need to be connected. So um, we are again scheduled to be back at Little Me Academy. We're shooting for August the 1st. So uh, I had a conversation with, uh, with Mandy over a week ago or two weeks ago. 
and she was very optimistic. She said, you know what, it's, it's fully open to you guys, you know, whatever. She was apologetic for all the time that she felt necessary. Just understand this, well, being recorded or online, so let me be careful. So she's, she has people to answer to as well, right? So she's okay with us being there. So I told her we'd let her know whenever we're going to do that. We're going to put together a, an official kind of safety protocol. Uh, that is for us, obviously, but that's just to do our due diligence and making them feel feel very good about us being back in their space. I think that's a I think that's a courtesy that 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 we need to extend to them and we plan to do that as well. So Kelly has been working on a schedule. Uh she's working with the volunteers that she has volunteer uh, the volunteering the the our numbers are kind of small with volunteers for whatever reason, but let me just say, I'll just reiterate what Austin said. If you can volunteer, you know, we ask that you would because right now we have people serving every three weeks. Okay. And that becomes a lot. Um, and so we, we don't want to do that long-term. We don't want people to burn out with the number of people that we have. And I know it, maybe it's not reflective in what you see here today, but if everybody's here, we don't have room for everybody. So we have the manpower so that people don't have to serve over there every three weeks. So unless you have a strong justifiable reason, such as the Lord spoke audibly to you, uh, I would encourage you to at least pray or consider serving as Austin mentioned last week, if you haven't served or if you, uh, if you, how did he word this? If you're brand new to Haven Ridge, usually there's a season before we, we introduce you to that, you know, um, because A, we, we don't know you and we don't want to put you in there just yet. So if you're interested, still talk to Kelly, talk to us, and we'll talk about what that process looks like. But we do need volunteers, okay? We have people that used to volunteer that aren't volunteering for, 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 for specific reasons, you know, and those things are fine. But if you can, if you can, we do need, we do need help in that area because we don't want other people to burn out, okay? So, um, and the final thing is it's been a week and nobody has said anything in the negative about the potential for us purchasing more chairs. Uh, it is something that we're going to be needing, so we might move forward with that between 600 and $1,000 for about 30 of these chairs. All right, so um, again, because no one has said something, I think we'll move forward with that. Uh, you have you have about an hour and a half to say something, so uh, you know, you better say it and hope we're listening. So um, anyway, so that's how we're going to do that. Anyway. So let's uh, have our call to worship. I want to read this scripture for you. Oh, by the way, uh, I had a fantastic week at camp. It's been a long time since I've done a youth camp. Uh, these youth did not have a curfew. It was late, late nights and early, early mornings, and I'm still recovering. I was like, I'm just, I'm old now. I'm old now, and I can't hang with these, with these, with these kids. So uh, we go to bed around 1 every night, get up at 5.30, because I would have to go to do the obligatory coffee with the adult leaders, you know. And so I did that, and it just, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm done. So, uh, so I, am, I am tired. But it was a great week of camp. Uh, Lord did some cool stuff. Lord gave me great grace and favor as I taught these youth. Uh, you know my preaching style. Uh, I'd like to think that it, it's, it's, it, it can be palatable for youth, but uh, I did not hold back anything for them that I you know, that it wouldn't hold back for you either. So, you know, some, some, some eyes like this as I was preaching, you know, <laughs> so, uh, but it was fun times. Let me, uh, let me read for you Psalm 66 as our call to worship. Shout for joy to God, all the earth, sing to the glory of his name, give to him glorious praise, 
Say to God, how awesome are your deeds, so great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through the fire and through water, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered, and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth. And high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. So let's pray, and then we'll enter our time of worship. Father, it's my prayer that you would align our hearts with the heart of David here. Father, that what we might say would be reflective of our deep and great appreciation for your mighty deeds, for your works. As Moses wrote, who is like you among the gods, majestic in wonders, awesome in working wonders. And I think that's the sentiment of the psalmist here. That his offerings to you are acceptable because of the place from which he offers them. He offers them uh, from a place of truth where he's reflecting on your goodness, on your deeds, on your worth, on your majesty, and all of these things. So, Lord, I pray that our minds might be captivated by your eternal worth, that our hearts might be stirred, that our affections might be stirred for you and by you. Lord, that we might not just think on the things from thousands of years past, but we might think on what you did for us yesterday. It's easy for us to think of your grandeur and think of all the things you did when you parted the Red Sea or when you raised Jesus from the dead and all of these things. But Lord, you're still working, you're still moving, you're still doing things in our life, and we are examples of your grace. We are examples of your activity in this life. We are example of your victorious works through Jesus and all that you do. So, Father, we praise you. Son, we praise you. Holy Spirit, we praise you. We thank you. We ask that you would fill this place and fill us. We know that you're here. We know that you're everywhere. But, Lord, we ask that you would make your presence known. We pray for your anointing as you offered to David, not in some weird fashion, but, Lord, in a way that we are filled and we are uh, appreciative and, and that you might bring a certain sobriety to our lives that we can better exalt you and better appreciate your, your, your great and mighty deeds. And, Father, I do pray that you would inhabit the praises of your people during this hour, and we may offer you from offer you something from our first fruits offer you praise from our first fruits 
Lord, that we in our efforts might really display with our lives that you have the preeminence above all, that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together if you will, please.
At this time, Shanna's going to come up. We've asked Shanna to share a little bit about kind of her experience at Renewal, what kind of goes on there just to help you see kind of what's happening with boots on the ground over that way. Good morning. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Shanna Finley. We've been going to Haven Ridge for a couple of years now, and... My husband, <laughs> um, and I've just been super thankful for this opportunity to serve at Renewal. Um, if you don't know much about the ministry, it is a part of Miracle Hill. Um, Renewal is specifically for women who have struggled with addiction. So many of these women um, not only have battled addiction, but have experienced trauma. They've experienced separation from their kids and their families. Um, some of them have been incarcerated, um, depression. I mean, you name it. And, you know, we've probably all known people to experience those things or maybe have experienced that for ourselves. But they've had a lot going on in their lives and a lot of turmoil. Um, so when they come to renewal, they're very broken. They're very tired. Their bodies and their minds are tired. 
Um, and renewal is just a place where they can rest and um, renew their minds and their bodies. And so really when you pull up to this place, I mean, if you sat there in the parking lot and you rolled down your windows for a moment, it is just this super peaceful place. You can hear the birds chirping and you can kind of see the wind blowing through the trees. I mean, there's just this immediate feeling of peace when you pull up. And our job when we go on Tuesdays is to serve lunch for them, um, which seems like it really wouldn't be that big of a deal for me, who doesn't cook. And <laughs> Stephen takes care of pretty much everything in the kitchen, so thankfully we survive. We're not going to starve. But um, making a meal is kind of a big deal for me. And so that's what we do. We go from about 1030 to 12, and we prepare a meal for them. Um, my partner so far has been Talitha, and that's been a really beautiful friendship to start developing, serving together there. Um, but I've been thinking a lot about the fact that right now, like Alan said, we can't really interact with these women. So there's this kind of anxious anticipation to meet them and to get to know them, to hear their stories, and we're just not able to do that yet. We're literally on the other side of the wall from them in the kitchen while they're going about you know, their regular routine in the building and yet not able to really interact with them yet. Um, and I've, I've really started to connect it with what I'm experiencing as a mom. Um, some of you probably know because Jackson pretty much told everybody <laughs> that we're expecting our third. So we're about 20 weeks or so. And right now, my sole job with this baby is simply to nurture this baby. I feed it when I feed myself. I can pray over this baby. I, I take care of my own body, um, my own spiritual walk. And I wait with anticipation to see this child face-to-face and and to build a relationship with this child, to help disciple this child. And I physically cannot do a thing to make it go any quicker. Um, And, you know, although they give you a due date, you just don't know if that's really what it's going to be. Our children have tended to come a little early, but who knows? This one may come late. So that's what we're doing at Renewal. We're waiting with anticipation. We're serving in the meantime, preparing these meals for them. And very much like Jesus, who cared about the physical needs of people, you know, he fed people. There was that time when he wanted to teach them truths, and he stepped back and he said, where are we going to get food for these people? Because he saw that they had that physical need that needed to be met. And I don't know about you, but my mind and my heart are a lot more open to receive truth when I'm not hungry and I'm not tired and I'm not confused. So at Renewal, their whole goal is just to love these women, to allow them to rest. And they are so passionate about, at the same time, biblically teaching them who Jesus is and who they are in Christ. And it's such a special thing to be a part of that, even if right now we're just on the other side of the wall. So what I also love about it is that not only are we experiencing that on campus at Renewal, we then get to take this mentality of servanthood and this mentality of, you know, the small, seemingly mundane things don't seem to matter. Well, that's not true. We get to shift that within our own hearts and our minds at home. Now I get to go home to my family and I say, okay, every time I clean that high chair and every time I serve that meal to my kids, which feels like it just happened five minutes ago, it matters. 
I'm, I'm meeting the needs of my family so that I can better disciple them so that they can better be prepared to hear the gospel and that they know of God's faithfulness, the provision that he gives them in meeting those needs, that he's there, that he's faithful. So they may not know who we are yet, but we've been faithfully serving different groups. Um, sometimes it's two women. It can be a husband and wife couple as well. And we're going to go until, you know, the Lord tells us otherwise. But we're building that rapport. We're building that relationship with them and showing them the faithfulness of the church, which then reflects the faithfulness of God. Um, so I just ask that you continue to pray for this ministry. Continue to pray that the COVID restrictions will be lifted. But in time, in God's time, um, and that our hearts and our minds will be ready to connect with these women, that maybe this is the time when we really study and we prepare ourselves to have words of wisdom and encouragement. Maybe this is the time that we reflect on the things we've been through, because God tells us, you know, I've comforted you in your hard times so that you can comfort other people, because the reality is these women who have been through addiction, they're precious women that God loves, you don't go into addiction wanting that. You have dreams. You're a normal person. And these women have this part of their journey that they're now having to deal with, but at least they have the support of biblical people who love them, and they're going to give them truth. So um, if you don't mind, can I pray over the ministry? And if you're interested in serving, we are looking for more volunteers. We're going to be switching from Thursdays or from Tuesdays to Thursdays if you're able to serve. It's just a couple hours, um, and it may not seem like a lot. I know if you're a mom like me, sometimes leaving your kids for a couple hours does seem like a big effort. Um, but it is important to this ministry and to the inner workings of what they do there at Renewal. So let's pray. Dear Lord, um, I just thank you so much that you do promise to renew us. Lord, you promise to transform us by the renewing of our minds when we submit to you. And Lord, this is so pleasing to you. It allows us to see your will, to see who you are. And God, I just pray that as these women rest, as their bodies recuperate, as their minds clear, and they begin to receive the truth of Scripture, God, that you will just root in them a hunger, Lord, for you. Even though you chose to feed people physically, Lord, you made it very clear in your word we can't live on physical things alone. Lord, you said that you came so that you could be the bread of life. Mm -hmm. Lord, so that you could feel the hunger that's inside of us. And I know that as these women begin to heal physically, and they begin to see things a little bit more clearly, they'll realize there's still this emptiness in them, emptiness that addiction couldn't fill, emptiness that even feeling nurtured and physically better can't fill. Lord, that emptiness is where you fit, and you consume us, and you make us new. And God, it's already. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And if the three- and four-year-olds will meet us at the back door, Mr. Finley and I will take you today. Stand together, please.
So this is an old hymn, but I'm going to kind of reintroduce it. It's called Come Ye Sinners. You may be familiar with it. If not, the kind of idea or the concept behind the song is simply that, um, you know, that we need the cleansing, we need the purification of Christ. Um, that um, there's a line in here that says, if you tarry until you're better, you will never come at all. We understand that God calls. We understand that the only reason we would ever call on him for salvation is because he first uh, gifted faith to us. But think of this in terms of in your life, you know, it's God that does the cleansing. It's God that does purification, not you. If you wait to fix your own self up, you know, then nothing will ever happen in your life because God does these things. So it's a very Christ-centric He's the active agent, you're the passive agent type song. So this is Come You Sinners.
his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory behold the man upon the cross my sin upon his shoulders ashamed I hear my that you would first prepare Austin even further to stand here under your word and before your people. And I ask that you would grant us all great grace to receive and apply, to subject ourselves to your word. Lord, we ask that it would change us. Father, I pray for our missionaries represented all over. Uh, I know many of them are, are stateside, longing to be back. God, I pray that you would continue to cause your cause the desire that they have from you for the nation that they've been called to. I pray that you'd keep that fire ignited. Lord, I pray that they would continue to have this longing to be there, but to also rest in your providence and keeping them here for now, for whatever reason. Lord, during this season of waiting, that they might grow in their understanding, Lord, that you might help them to see or understand what it is that you're doing right now. And it doesn't make sense sometimes because you've called them to be there and to go there is to do a good work, is to bring the gospel to the nations. And yet it seems like under your providence you have kept that, at least as far as they're concerned, from happening. But it doesn't mean that it's not happening at all. So, Lord, as Habakkuk prayed that Judah would have understanding, we pray that our missionaries that we support would have understanding as well. Lord, during this season, Lord, we ask that you would bring them back soon, bring them back safely. Lord, that you would work out everything that needs to be worked out logistically for them to be there and to be effective for what they are doing. Lord, we thank you for this time that we have, uh, that we've had to worship you in song, and now we worship you in the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat.
Yes, there we go. Okay. Now everybody can hear me. Um, so we, we are starting our uh, series in Galatians this morning. <clears throat> so if you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of Galatians. And we'll be starting it, uh, starting our series, and we'll, it, uh, as is our custom in preaching through books of the Bible, we'll go, you know, verse by verse, section by section until we finish it. So we'll be in Galatians for several months at the very least. Um, so this is a very rich book. It's a book that's um, th the Lord has used to make his mark on many particular individuals throughout Christian history. Um, and it's a, it's a book that has many key themes in it, law, um, the Holy Spirit, freedom, faith. Um, it's, it's been called by many a mini sort of condensed version of the Paul's letter to the Romans. Um, so, but this, uh, we hope, will be a, a blessing to us as a church as we go through it. Um, so, this morning, we're going to be covering just chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. So, let's read those, and I'll pray for us. So, Galatians 1. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I, I echo the words from the song we just sang. They will not boast in anything but Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. As we come before you this morning, Lord, may we, may we bring to you empty hands. Hands that don't come holding moral perfection. Don't come holding moral goodness. Don't come holding any sort of a any sort of a familial or ethnic pedigree that grants us favor with you. But we come as poor and needy, spiritually bankrupt and deficient, and, and ask in boldness that you would just meet with us upon the grace that shed that was shed on Calvary through your Son. Father, you might teach us more, more of your character, more of who you are, more of what it means to be redeemed through the blood of Christ. That you give us clarity for the gospel in a time when the waters of our culture seek to make it murky. So, Father, would you bring your word before us this morning? Would you pour out your spirit? We may, might be fashioned more and more like, like Christ. We might be tethered to the gospel. We might live lives that are worthy of, the, of that very gospel. So, Father, would you come and speak with us? It's, Je it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. I don't know about you, but I, I get quite 
nervous when I drive on the interstate. Um, you know, when I was growing up and I was first learning to drive, my, I grew up in a small town in Georgia, and you had to drive a long way to get to a major interstate. And my parents would always tell me, you know, Austin, you have to pay very close attention, put your head on a swivel, you know, watch out, it's very dangerous. You know, if you're a parent, you know all of these things. You tell your kids about this if they're like riding a bicycle or as soon as they start walking, you know. Um, but that's very, very true when we're driving. And uh, I, I understood that. I, I came to an experiential knowledge uh, and understanding of that in 2014 when I wrecked my truck while we were moving to Greenville and I was carrying half of our possessions and wrecked it on 85 and ended up waking up in the ER. Had a very newfound respect for what it means to have a serious accident uh, on an interstate. Um, but it, it's nervous. You know, you get, you get nervous as you're driving because you're looking around and you're, you don't realize just how close to stepping into eternity you really are. And when you see serious wrecks on the, you know, on the interstate, I don't know about you, but for me, I just cringe. Um, and, and, and we'll oftentimes say a prayer for the family that's in that vehicle or was involved. Just because I know just what it's like to have that kind of an accident, how serious it is. But it's very, very dangerous, and I'm so grateful I'm so grateful for the guys that come out when they're making the interstate and they're making the roads and they, they put the lines. You know, a yellow solid line goes here, yellow solid line goes here. This is a white dotted line, right? There's a, there's a barrier here or, you know, there's lines. These mark where we're supposed to drive, right? This is what keeps the vast majority of us safe as we're, as we're driving. I mean, in the, early, in the early stages of road development, you know, particularly within the United States, there were no lines of demarcation. And, and accidents happened all the time. No stop signs, you know, uh, traffic lights, these things we take for granted, they didn't exist. And people had terrible accidents, even though they were going much slower than we go now. They still had terrible accidents where many people died in these car accidents at intersections and around bends and things like that. So as, as the transportation industry developed, different things were put in place in order to try and keep people safe. And I think, again, of those, you know, those lines on the road, those areas of demarcation that say, don't go this way, don't go that way, stay here, go this way. This is the way that you should go in order to stay safe and not sidetrack off into, you know, nowhere's land or, or, or get into an accident. If you've ever been driving in a storm, you know what that's like and how, how grateful you feel for those 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 lines you can't see maybe more than 10 feet in front of you but you're still going 60 because everybody else is doing 60 and all you can see or you can see those lines they're like okay as long as i stay between these lines and i watch out for brake lights in front of me i'm gonna i should be fine you know we're gonna get to where we're going those de those lines of demarcation are crucial when we're driving but they're also crucial for the gospel knowing what the gospel is and what it is not based off its biblical lines of demarcation keep us within the boundaries of the gospel make sure that we don't get as paul says to the ephesians carried away by various winds of doctrine that we're not there's no slipping away there's no moving off into the weeds being 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 lost in a sense like uh, in Christians in Pilgrim's Progress where Christian meets various people along the way 
He meets uh, formalists in hypocrisy. They come in a different way. They're there for a little bit, but then they stray off and they, they end up wandering into a field. And as Bunyan says, they're never heard from again. Or you, have, or you have sloth and apathy who are chained to the side of the road. And Christian tries to get, stir them up and get them moving, but they're, they're not. They're content just to stay right there. And the, the emphasis is you stay within the boundaries of the gospel and you'll get to the celestial city. That's the way that God preserves his church. The way he, he preserves his saints is through the gospel. And we're at a pivotal point in our in our uh, in in history today, where there are numerous false gospels that are out there. You have the prosperity gospel, you have social gospel, you have the um, th- this new kind of American nationalism gospel, and there's various various forms of the way that that the gospel has been twisted and turned and taken off in a different direction that's far removed from the actual gospel within scripture. And oftentimes what happens is within false gospels, there are sprinklings of biblical truth. But the core of it is moved away from the actual gospel. And it's one of the reasons that we're in the book of Galatians is because Galatians, Paul Paul speaks and he writes to combat false narratives or false gospels. This is what was happening with Paul. Now, I'm going to get into the history, you know, here in a minute. Um, but but the, the, the early church was at a pivotal point in its history where it, was, where it was establishing some of those lines of demarcation. No. What is the gospel? What, is it, what did God actually do? And so Paul was writing to, to combat some of these, this, these false ideas about the gospel itself. So let me give you a quick outline. Okay, I'm going to look at the context of the, uh, of the book of Galatians, this letter. What's, what's kind of the background? Or what's the framework in which Paul's writing? Okay, and then look at Paul's authority. Excuse me, Paul's authority and then Paul's message. So what was the authority with which Paul was writing? And then what was his message? What was the gospel? Specifically, what the gospel offers to us and then how do we receive it? Okay, those are all within those first five verses. And we're going to stay pretty much right there in those five verses, okay? We'll dip into Acts um, because that's, that's the framework for, uh, for the letter, okay? So that's, that's the direction we're going. And, and I'm going to give kind of application as we go along. So we're not going to get to the end and give kind of a final application. We'll do, we'll do some as we, as we move through it. So what's the, what's the context of Galatians? What's the, the framework? Why does Paul write this letter? He says, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men. He, he starts this off in a tone that's defensive. In, in many of his other letters, he's writing very encouragingly. You know, he, he writes in a manner that's encouraging, like to the Ephesians. Paul, an apostle, um, uh, and I'm drawing a blank, but you can look at it. <laughs> Paul, an apostle, he writes in many of his other letters very encouraging initially, but from Galatians, he starts from a posture of defense. So why is that? We find the framework for Galatians in Acts chapter 13 through 15. Um, great, if you want to read it in its full, you know, read that this afternoon or sometime this next week. Give you a great understanding of exactly what's going on. But let me summarize for you, okay? Acts chapter 13 through 15, Paul's first missionary journey. He's sent out from the church at 
uh, at, at Antioch, which is in Syria. There's two Antiochs here, so we'll get to that in a second. But church at Antioch in Syria, Paul and Barnabas are sent out from the church, okay? And they go, and as they travel, they end up getting, and they're preaching the gospel in synagogues as they go along, and they're getting opposition from the Jews. They get into, uh, into Antioch, the Pisidian province, and Paul preaches the gospel. He preaches the gospel there in the synagogues, and the Jews reject him. And Paul says there, okay, because you've rejected us, we're turning to the Gentiles. And the Jews run them out of town. And so they travel east to the city of Iconium, Lystra. Lystra is the place where Paul, Paul was preaching the gospel. And Jews came from a neighboring city. They got really upset with him. You know, if you got somebody who's really upset with you, feel very, very strongly and passionately that they don't like you for one reason or another, a lot of times they'll follow you. Right? I mean, this happens on Facebook and social media all the time. Right? They'll follow you. Well, these people followed Paul from one city to another and said, look, this guy's stirring up trouble. Get rid of him. And in Lystra, Paul was stoned. He was stoned. He survived. And so he and Barnabas, move, they leave the city and they go to the border city of Jerb. Okay, these are all small cities that are in the Roman province of Galatia. This is why this is written to the churches in Galatia. Okay, this is a, uh, an area that was controlled and, and, uh, by, by the Romans that had various smaller towns and cities throughout it. Okay, so Paul was preaching. Um, so uh, they were preaching and making disciples as they were going through these cities. And after dirt, they turn around and they retrace their steps back through these very same towns and cities where they're being persecuted. And as they're doing so, Luke writes in Acts 14 that they were strengthening the, the souls of the disciples as they were going back through, telling them that through many trials and tribulations, you will enter the kingdom of God. Okay, so don't, don't miss the point. Paul's preaching a, he's preaching a message that's very, very unsettling to the people who are in these cities. And many people are hearing this and saying, we want to hear more. We believe this. We believe this is true. We, you know, we want to hear more about it. So Paul is establishing, you know, he's, he's church planning, you know, basically. Not in the sense we think of it, but he's preaching the gospel. People are believing. They're coming to faith, and they're following Christ. And so Paul is making disciples as he's going along. But these disciples are growing and they're being, they're being made in, in a cultural context that's very, very hostile to this message of the gospel. So eventually Paul and Barnabas, they make their way back to the church at Antioch, the, the home sending church in Syria. And he gives a report to the church about what God had done, how he'd opened uh, uh, the door of faith to the Gentiles. And Acts says that they spent a long time there. So while Paul's there, he gets word that some Judaizers, some, some professing believers of Christ, but who want to hang on to the, to, to the Old Testament requirements of the law, they'd infiltrated the churches that he planted. And they were doing two things. One, they were undercutting his authority as a true apostle, and therefore that's the validity of his message. Oh, you know, Paul, he didn't actually know Jesus. Paul didn't know Jesus. He, he, did, he wasn't a true disciple, so he's making this stuff up. He's coming up with this stuff on his own. Don't listen to him. But they were doing the other. They were doing another thing. They were persuading the Gentiles, the Gentile believers, that true salvation wasn't possible unless they became Jewish. 
namely that they were circumcised and that they adhered to the Old Testament laws. And so Paul writes this letter to these churches from Antioch to defend his apostleship and the validity of the true gospel of grace that he'd originally proclaimed to them. So Paul writes this letter. Now, now in the broader context, it's interesting. This is a, this is a growing time for the early church. Now, when the church initially first established it, obviously it doesn't, didn't look like us. I mean, where were they, they meeting? I mean, they were originally meeting in synagogues. I mean, these were primarily Jews who came to faith in Christ, believing that we're, we're the true Israel. But there's a conflict between the believing Jews and then those who are not believing Jews that are still adhering to the Old Testament covenant. And then you've got, you know, Peter going on in Acts chapter 11 where God sends him to the house of Cornelius, a Gentile. Peter preaches the gospel. Cornelius and his family believe. They come to faith in Christ. There's a special outpouring of the Spirit that demonstrates that. And Peter comes back to the church at Jerusalem and goes, um, the Gentiles are believing. I mean, they're praising God, but they're trying to figure out, okay, what is this? how is this working? You see, God is doing a phenomenal thing in establishing who his people are and the believe and the believers are, are, are trying to trying to organize us, trying to figure out okay exactly what's what's going on here, what is God doing and trying to understand it while carrying out that, that great commission of sharing the gospel with all nations. So there were clear tensions between the Jews and the and the Christians in these cities. Right? There were tensions between them. And so demarcation lines were coming into view. Okay? And this is, this is the point of the backstory. You know, what did God actually do through the gospel? It's a foundational question that the early church had to answer. What actually happens when someone comes to faith in Christ? These are fundamental questions that had to be answered for the early church that necessarily separated the Christians. In Antioch, by the way, the, the believers were first called Christians. I mean, this is 40 years or so after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Right? There was no term that really identified the early church before then. So you can see the conflict that, that existed. But those were fundamental questions that the early church had to answer. And they're fundamental questions that we have to answer because that's what keeps us tethered to the gospel itself. What did God actually do through the gospel? And what actually happens to a person when they come to faith in Christ? Okay, so we got, we got this scene. We're set up. You know, Paul's writing this letter because these churches he's getting word that these churches are beginning to drift away from the gospel of grace that he preached to them jesus plus something else was being introduced into him and he writes this strong letter to argue for this gospel of grace that he'd originally preached and he does so off the basis of to argue for his authority and then what the gospel actually is or you know particularly to clarify his message okay so he writes now now we're, we're back into into galatians okay so we're gonna walk through this line by line or, or verse by verse he says paul an apostle 
not sent from man nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul's got to defend his ministry. Now think about this. Paul had no human advocates. Okay? Paul's Paul's backstory, right? He was he was a Pharisee who God kicked him off his horse on the road to Damascus, blinded him, saved him, and then said, I'm going to show you how much you're going to have to suffer for my name. Right? The Jews hated him. He's a turncoat. They hated him. The Christians didn't trust him. We'll read later in chapter 2, and we'll realize that when Paul started initially you know, rubbing shoulders with, with Christians, they didn't trust him. And he's the one who was practicing genocide, trying to extinguish Christians. And now he's professing to be one? And the Romans were frustrated by him. Paul, why are you stirring up so much trouble in our, in our cities? So he's got, he's got no friends, essentially, except in these little pockets where, the, where he's... he's He's getting in line with the church. He's, he's, people are getting to know him. They're starting to see, you know what? The fruits of the gospel are actually true and present in his life. Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection has been applied to him. They've been given the Spirit. He understands the promise of the God of the Old Testament and how that would come into fruition with the Messiah who was sent and the outworkings of it starting to actually see that yes genuine repentance and faith took place in this man but the outside rest of the world doesn't see that so he's got to defend his ministry everywhere he goes you know and today many try and undermine Paul's authority right oh well you know we don't that substitutionary atonement and you know the bloody mess on the on the on the cross that that was Paul's idea. You know, this came along later, or this was a this was a centuries later kind of revision of history. I mean, we just need the the words of Jesus, right? Jesus was a different person. What we find is the very authority that Paul names is Christ Himself. He based his claim on a divine commissioning, and that commissioning was triune in nature. Okay, let's look at this. Paul says, he says, I'm, I'm an apostle, not sent from men. Well, wait a minute, Jesus was a man, right? You see, right off the gate, Paul categorically puts Jesus in a different, in, in a different category. But Jesus was a man. He was fully man. We know that from the Gospels. But he was also fully God. He was, as one commentator writes, very God of very God. The second person of the Trinity became incarnate as a man. But he was categorically other than just a mere man. Paul doesn't look at Jesus as just a prophet, just a good teacher, just a good example. No, he's the divine son of God. And he carries with him a different authority than any other human being. Not from men, not from the agency of man, 
Now, what's interesting is on Paul's missionary journey, the church at Antioch is the sending church. They're the ones that commissioned and sent Paul and Barnabas. But it was because God had told them during a time of fasting and prayer, the Lord had spoken to the church and said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I have called them. That's Acts chapter 13 too. That work was further clarified when in Antioch and Pisidia, Paul preaches the gospel and he declares to the rejecting Jews that they're turning to the Gentiles. And that turning of the Gentiles into like, okay, well, this is plan B. Now, that's the very reason that God sent them out in the first place. Okay, listen to this. Acts chapter 13, verse 46 and 47. These are Paul's words. He says, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. He's talking about the, re- the Jews who rejected him. Since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord commanded us, I've placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. It was the, it was the Lord who had commissioned and sent Paul in the first place. But if you notice, Paul, he credits God the Father as sending him. He says, not sent from man or the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. But in Acts chapter 13, verse 2, Luke records that it's the Holy Spirit is the one who is the sending agent. It was the Holy Spirit who spoke to the church and said, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for the for the, for the work that I that I have for them, namely to take the gospel to the Gentiles. So we see that the Father planned it and communicated that plan to the church through the Holy Spirit, who was given through the Son, and that's in accordance with His written word. Because that light into the Gentiles passage, or the, that Paul cites when he when he preaches to the Jews. That's a quote from the Old Testament. Now, I'm not going to spend too much time on that, on that because we're going to see more of the Holy Spirit and his function later in Galatians. But then also the Father. It's the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. That the Son's obedience and sacrifice broke the power of death, and the Father raised him from the dead. And we should take note that for Paul, the bodily resurrection of Jesus was crucial to his message. You know, it's so crucial that he highlights that aspect within the first 25 words of this letter. The bodily resurrection of Christ has been a source of great debate outside and inside the church since Paul's day. And it's important that we note that because Christianity, the Christian faith hinges on whether or not that actually is true. As Paul said, if Christ is not raised from the dead, then we are still in our sins and we are above all men most to be pitied. So this is what I want you to see from here. The strength of Paul's message comes from the Trinitarian God himself. Therefore, it trumps any other narrative that humanity will spend. Now, as a, as a, as a footnote, you know, when we were going through, when we were preaching through the book of John, we highlighted that Trinitarian aspect of God. You know, we, we did that. And 
for me personally, I'll do that anytime it comes up. You know, not just because I want you to see it, but because I think it's vital for us as we see, as we learn more about, more about God's character, that God is, in fact, Trinitarian in nature, God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that they're equal in dignity, value, and worth, but there is distinction in roles between them, and there is no conflict there. And again, we spent time with this in John, but I just want to bring this back up because this is very instructional for us as how we live together as Christians saved by grace, created in the image of God, that image broken, restored through faith in Christ, and still working that out as we deal with the sin nature that still is, is remnant you know, within us. As we learn more about God and who he is in his nature, we understand more what it means to live with one another created in his image. So Paul's message, what authority do you have, Paul? Why should we listen to you? Because I come not on the basis of any man, not on the basis of any sending man's agency, but with the authority and the commissioning power of the, tri of the triune God himself. The one who fashioned the very narrative of history that's behind us and is carrying out his redemptive plan in front of us. That's the strength of, uh, of, of, of Paul's message. But what was that message? Paul, an apostle, and all the brethren who are with me, those that are there at the church at Antioch, to the churches of Galatia, we've already established though, who, who those were, who he was writing to. What does the gospel offer to us? Because so many people, I think, live, we, 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 t we tend to live as if the gospel didn't do anything. You know, that the gospel is something ethereal, it's something in the dusty halls of eternity that matters later but doesn't have any real effect now. And that mindset is so, so often what ends up leading down false gospel paths. We want so desperately to do something here and now that matters, that has tangible effects, that we, that we stray because we don't see that what actually happened on the cross has implications for us now. I use the term with a, a coworker in trying to explain this Monopoly gospel. If you ever played Monopoly, ever played the game, I introduced my kids to this not too long ago. It was awesome because I loved playing Monopoly as a kid. And my kids were really excited about it. I was like, oh, this is great. But I, I remember playing as a kid. One of the, I loved, I would land on community chest and I'd draw a card and you'd get a, get a jail free card. It's like, yes, you know, because I land on jail, you know, like, don't pass go, don't collect $200. You know, I got to stay in the game. So I get this card and I was very excited about it. But in the back of my mind, I knew this is just a game. You know, it's, it's, I don't, I'm not really in jail. You know, it doesn't have any bearing on reality because here in a little bit, I'm going to have to go clean my room. You know, and I don't want to clean my room. We're kind of frustrated about that. You know, it's dirty. But right now, you know, I get a little bit excited because I get out of jail free card. And I think in a way, we can easily think of our salvation like that get out of jail free card. That yes, it matters in the, in, the, in the great halls of justice. But where we are here and now doesn't really have any bearing or implication. 
And if we miss this, we miss how the gospel affects our life right here and right now. We can easily be led astray into other things. Oftentimes the fruits of the gospel begin to have more an appeal and we're caused, we end up drifting. I think this is so how, how we so easily add Jesus plus works. We make works and we make moral accomplishments and achievements and things tantamount to the gospel itself. And we get the order mixed up, you know, not understanding that it's the gospel that's the root and works become the fruit of it rather than, rather than, the, root, than the fruits becoming the roots themselves. So what does the gospel actually do? What does it offer us? Paul lays this out in two words, grace and peace. Now to be sure, the gospel does more than this. But we're here in Galatians, and this is what Paul says, and so we're going to just deal with these, these two aspects. He says grace and peace. He opens almost all of his letters this way. Grace and peace. Bringing together the, the typical Gentile fashion of greeting, grace, to you with the Hebrew fashion, shalom, or peace to you. He brings these two together, not in their original, necessarily in their original context, but with through gospel lenses. Grace and peace. Grace. Now, what's, what's interesting, he, he doesn't say shame and guilt. I'm thinking again about Paul. He committed genocide of Christians, and now he's, now he's, leading the charge of the gospel and he doesn't say guilt and shame to you for all the stuff that you've done or guilt and shame for me Paul for all of my past sins he says grace and peace this is what the gospel offers to us grace and peace grace getting what you do not deserve right getting the right hand of fellowship with God, the very God who fashioned the universe, who holds all things in his hands. Right, his listening ear, Paul writes to the Ephesians and calls them, says we can come boldly before this God. That you get to pray to him and he hears you. You don't sit outside the veil and the Shekinah glory of God's in here and you, you have to stay out here. Or even further back and you, you're, you're in this court of Gentiles. Right? You're, you're separated, you're other. No, you come into his presence. Speak to him, pray to him and he hears you. You have sonship. And all the inheritances that go along with that. That includes being heirs to a new creation with Christ. You have the blessings of sufferings that have eternal and sanctifying purposes. Rather than being meaningless and only procuring for you temporal life lessons about how much you can make much of yourself. These and so many others are what the gospel offers to us. Grace, getting what you don't des deserve. And peace. True peace with God. And this is what Paul writes, Romans 1.8. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
true peace with God because he has forgiven you in Christ. That that debt of sin for you and all those who came before you, I don't care what your past looks like. And you come to faith in Christ, God looks at the cross and says, he paid your debt. You owe me nothing. That's true peace, isn't it? To know that the God of the universe to whom you give an account for at the end of your life tells you right here and now, through faith in Christ, you now have no more condemnation. We have peace with one another. Christ is your advocate. True peace. Now, false gospels may offer or may seek to offer both of these. But ultimately, they never deliver on them. When you come to understand false gospels, they end up shackling you with burdens you are never intended to bear. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that because we're, we got the whole rest of Galatians to go through it. You know, this is just an intro, so just kind of wet your appetite, give you a launching pad. So these are these are these are just two things that the gospel offers to us. But then how do we receive it? How do we receive that? Do we receive those blessings through hard work, a lot of moral reform, and just going to try and do better? Do we get stamped with the gospel? Okay, now you've got to work really hard to keep it, to keep those blessings. Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forevermore. Notice this. The gospel is fully a work of God. The gospel is about what God has done for us. Right? This is... This, Here's a, here's a brief outline of Galatians, okay? You write this down, make a note of this somewhere, okay? Chapters 1 and 2, it's a biography of what God has done. Paul lays this out, chapters 1 and 2. Here's what God's done. And then chapters 3 and 4, okay, teaches us how we should think about this. Okay, what, what should we believe? How should we think about what God has done? If God has done this, how should we think about it? And then chapters 5 and 6, okay, now how should we live as a result of it? But the gospel begins with what God has done for us. Something he's done. That Jesus gave himself for our sins. You see Christ's willingness to suffer for us shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But one will hardly die for a righteous man. You might give up your life for somebody you felt like is more worthy than you. But for somebody who's less worthy, somebody who's a hardened criminal, somebody who's a wretched sinner, who's going to die for that person? And yet Christ died for us, shows us the immense value of his love for us. Christ was willing to suffer for us and shows his love for us. 
and he suffered for our sins. Not merely to give us a good example to follow in being charitable towards one another. But he suffered for our sins which separated us from, from God. And separated us from one another. As Paul, Paul wrote to the Ephesians. A primarily Gentile church. And said that Christ in his death, burial and resurrection. Broke down the barrier of the dividing wall between you and the Jews. You get a sense there how the early church dealt with ethnic tensions. There and in Acts 14 and 15. Christ died and paid for our sins. Which separated us from God and kept us from genuine true fellowship with one another. So that he might rescue us from this present evil age. Right? Not, not take us out of this age. Right? Paul's dealing with a lot of this mess right here. He says that Christ died to rescue us from this present evil age. Not to take us out of the age, but to free us from enslavement to it. Take the example of stuff. Right? The health, wealth, prosperity gospel says God wants you to have more stuff. No, that's not true. Right there, there's a there's a minimalist naturalist gospel movement that says, well, no, you need to get rid of all your stuff. Your stuff is your problem. Get, give all of your stuff away. No, that's not the case. The message of the gospel is that no, you have a new relationship to your stuff. Your relationship to your stuff is not that you use stuff in order to make much of yourself, but you use your stuff, your wealth, your, I mean, you fill that in, you, your relationship with your stuff is such that you use it in a way that sh demonstrates to the world that God is your greatest treasure. Even a relationship with it. See, the gospel frees us from enslavement to the things in this world that are the roots of our sin. that he might rescue us from this present evil age. According to the will of God the Father. Here we see again that from eternity past, this was God's plan. Paul's not coming up with some new message, you know, that's kind of new and new agey and, you know, oh, this is cool, this is a new thing. No, Paul is saying, nope, this is, this is the story that God's been weaving throughout redemptive history. We're just at a pivotal point where the Messiah has come, the new covenant's here, and now we're moving through it. And this was God's plan from eternity past. And it's never to fail or falter. According to God's will. It should give us encouragement. And then the last thing Paul says. He says to whom be the glory forever. That this is for his glory. Right? That the gospel is a work of God. Solely a work of God. Fully a work of God. So that he receives the glory. And not us. And the participation that we have in it, namely that of faith, it's a dependent one. Yes, we participate in it. Yes, there is something that we have to do, believe. But it is a dependent participation. The virtue and value of faith rests not on the action of the individual, but on the value of its object. Right? 
The value of Christ is what we put our faith in. Therefore, its virtue goes straight through to its object. The boast and the glory and the praise go straight through to Christ because that's the one we're putting our trust in. He's the one that did all the work. It is for His glory. So this is Paul's message. This is Paul's authority. He says, I come not on my authority, not on any man's authority, but on the authority of God who has sent me. And here is my message. Bring to you the gospel, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he died on the cross, gave himself for your sins, so he might rescue you from enslavement to this present, to this uh from enslavement to this present evil age. This was according to the will of God from eternity past. So that all nations, all creatures, all of creation would see his glory in the pouring out of his grace and mercy on a people for himself. So we've got much more to say regarding the true gospel. That's gonna that's the theme uh of our sermon series through this is is uh, is one gospel. Okay, as we look at this and we and we're able to hopefully the goal of this study I think is to help us better understand the true gospel so that we can better identify false gospels that are coming to us constantly, whether you realize it or not, they are constantly there being uh, being proclaimed. So let me pray for us as I close, um, and then Alan's going to come up, and uh, we're going to have the Lord's Supper. So let me pray for us. Father God, Lord, I thank you for the message of the gospel. I thank you that, thank you that you've made it clear in your word. You've established lines of demarcation that show us the lane in which to walk. So Father, would you keep us there? Help us to see truth from here, even when people call it truth. Father, maybe we'd be like Bereans who assessed what was preached to them. They said, we're going to look at this in line with the scripture and see does it line up. Father, we'd be faithful students of your word. Will we lean on your authority, the authority of your word? Not, not the authority of intellectualism or education or, or the authority of a particular pedigree or, or, or any sort of ethnic background. We not lean on the authority of moral efforts. Father, we lean on the authority of Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. And the gift that you've given to us by faith in him. And so, Father, now as we come to this point in our service, we do as you have called us to. To take of the bread and take of the wine. To do these things in remembrance of Jesus. And the work that he's done for us until he comes. Pray, Father, that you would convict hearts where conviction is needed. Dear Lord, if we lean towards a false gospel, that you would make that clear in our hearts. 
Father, if we've if we've sat back and we've just been comfortable and we've not thought about what it means to really follow Christ, to live out our faith, I pray that you do business with our hearts. Father, each believer here will be able to come to you, partake of the bread and take of the wine, in an attitude of faith, with a clean conscience, not a spotless moral record, but a clean conscience that's confessed into you, received forgiveness, and is seeking to walk in newness of life through your spirit. So, Father, thank you and I praise you for your grace and for your mercy. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So if you have, if when you came in you did not get a cup with the bread in it, now is your time to go and do that. Uh, you can do that and, and grab that and come back to your seat. We've opted to go this way uh, because of the, the COVID thing. We used to do it a little bit differently, but still still using these little guys. So once you get those, I just want to uh, offer a word of reminder here because it's the because Paul labors to go this far in the text as far as uh, as far as uh, our posture when we take communion and that is uh with regards to examining ourselves and Austin mentioned it in this prayer but let me just let me just let you know where this comes from in verse 28 of chapter 11 1 Corinthians first of all Paul Paul writes to them and basically rebukes the way that they're observing communion not happy with it at all and he's like this is no small thing so he explains some things he says this Whoever therefore eats, I'm sorry, verse 28, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So what I want to do is just offer this warning um, just to not add to the scriptures but to reiterate the scriptures and that is if taking this for you is in any kind of unworthy manner don't do it because the scripture says and I don't know how it would materialize in your life um, but the scripture says here that you're eating and drinking condemnation on yourself and it says this is why some of you are ill and some of you have died. I'm not saying some of you will come ill or die, but heed the warning in Scripture, right? Heed the warning in Scripture. If you're vacillating as to whether or not you're in Christ, you don't take the cup and you don't take the bread. If you've got sin that's not dealt with, that's unconfessed, you don't take the cup and you don't take the bread. That is not me being hard on you. That is me being loving towards you because you nor I want to deal with any of what the condemnation is of doing these things. So having said that, We'll move into our time. If you will, you can kind of remove the top layer, and you will, um, and you'll get out the the bread there. For some, it might be easier than others. Last time we took communion, I failed to have any for myself, so I'm determined now.
I'm getting my bread out. You can examine yourself. just regular bread out here. All right, so verse 23 says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, and the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also he took the cup, after supper, saying, This is the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, what we just observed, we understand that we're proclaiming your death until you come. We understand that it's no light thing and it's no small thing that we observe your death and your resurrection. Father, we believe that we hold a view that is correct. We don't hold to a view that says that we literally drank your blood or we literally ate your body. But these things memorialize, these things point to, these things are a picture of you shedding your blood and your body uh, being tortured and your body being shred apart for uh, for sin through the scourging and through the cross and through the piercing of your your body and all of these things. So, Lord, we commemorate that. We celebrate that, uh, not in some weird, sick fashion, but we celebrate the result. We celebrate the love behind the cross. We celebrate the obedience behind the cross. We celebrate the God-glorifying act of what the cross commemorates and we celebrate the hope and the the, the 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 surety that we have because of what the cross accomplished so thank you we celebrate you and we thank you jesus we thank you god for sending your son and we thank you holy spirit for the work that you all did in making sure that we might have life and we thank you for the fact that jesus came to secure salvations not to create a potential for salvation and we thank you that we have that hope in you we ask that as we leave this place, that we might leave with a mind that is appreciative, a mind that offers you thanks and glory for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.